part of the executive all the way through a business, just build complete awareness from top to bottom. And then probably a hacker is going to have a bit of a go. Oh, it's a bit hard. You know what? I'm lazy. I want to move on to the next. There'll be an easier target out there. Welcome to episode 14 of Dark Mode with Ben and Gabe. Pumped for you getting this episode with our guest Bastion Treptel. Bastion is a convicted cyber criminal at a very young age. Ultimately, he was a curious young man who had an unfiltered and back then unregulated access to the internet with a malicious tool. If you ever thought pizza could be your undoing, Bastion talks us through how it was for him. Bastion then turned the switch and co-founded a hugely successful organization in CTRL Group and takes us on the social engineering journey, reconnaissance phases, and the ultimate advice for us all to look at the younger generation who are continually pushing the boundaries of our technologies, just waiting to be seen. We rabbit hole the future of technology in this episode with Bastion, and we're so excited to get you into it. Subscribe, like, comment on this one, but beyond all, enjoy. Bastion, thanks for joining us on Dark Mode. Thank you for having us, Gavin. Ben, appreciate it. Absolutely. Bastion, we met a few weeks ago. I'm not too sure what the appropriate language is, but convicted criminal, shall we go that far? Yeah, I mean, that's the really harsh way to go about it. I like to call myself a curious person who got in trouble. Curious. But yeah, we can go with convicted criminal if you like. I think the curiosity is better because that can get us all in a raft of trouble, but, and potentially it did for you if you want to tell us a little bit more about the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I was very curious as a child. I was always taking things apart. Much to my mother's displeasure, I was really interested to know how the washing machine went so fast. Completely took that apart, put that like one back together, but I uh, didn't manage to get my father's telescope back together. I couldn't figure out how the lenses are lined up, but yeah, just everything. I had to know how it worked as a child and that's gone all the way through my life. And then uh, the internet, my grandfather dropped it around a computer and I had to know what was on the other end of that wire. And after uh, a couple of years of mucking around, I found a bank on the end of a wire and stole a few thousand credit cards, bought uh, quite a few pizzas with them. And uh, that led to the federal police banging on my door and uh, dragging me down to have a chat. Yeah, that was the end of my criminal mastermind career, but it just showed that people weren't ready for the internet. They were connecting, the banks of all people were connecting the internet and you could just go in there and see what was what. I stole a big database full of numbers that didn't mean a great deal to me until I noticed the numbers looked similar to my mum's credit card numbers and where we went, pizza for all. I actually just love out of that you went so far as to just buy lots of pizzas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I honestly, what else do you do with lots of credit cards? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like a 14 to 16 year old kid, you're hungry. Your pizzas are delicious. Did yeah. you buy them for everyone else, Bastion, or you just bought them for yourself? Oh, like yeah. I would buy them for friends, buy them for party. Yeah. They actually even said that I likely wouldn't have been caught had I not bought uh, so many pizzas, but there you go. <laughs> a bit, I feel like this is like a Bitcoin story. But like 1.0. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The guy that bought all those pizzas with Bitcoin. So his bill was about $1.8 million for a couple of pizzas. Yeah. yeah. Valuation. Not today's, obviously, it's probably pretty low. Yeah. So, Bastian, you are the link into cybersecurity is, in fact, after that experience, you went on to found um, CTRL Group as a cybersecurity advisory firm. And so you actually made that choice that we often speak about from choosing to use those skill sets for the greater good. And hence you came to the good side on the cyber spectrum. Yeah. This is a great message for kids, right? If you're thinking, Hey, I'm going to go and steal some credit card numbers and I don't know, maybe do some hacking for good in terms of social activism or sort of stuff. 
you're going to leave digital footprints and those footprints are going to be there forever. Like we've seen a spate of people being arrested just this month. We've seen a previous Amazon employee, Paige Thompson. She breached a whole bunch of accounts and she just is now going to go to jail. I would urge you, you can make a really good living doing cybersecurity and helping protect people. And you can even be a fake bad guy working for good. Like at our company, CTRL Group, we pay some of the highest wages to our penetration testers. And their jobs is essentially to go and break into businesses like the biggest mining companies in the world, the biggest banks in the world. And it's still scary how easy that is, but that's a lot more fun because you don't have to look over your shoulder for the rest of your life. Not something, not a position you want to be in. And funny fact, if I'd done what I did back then today as a 18 year old, I would have gone to jail. So yeah, keep that in mind, kids. It's not a fun pastime to spend some time behind bars. There's easier ways to get pizzas. There are way easier ways to get pizzas. Yeah. Yeah. So Bastian, how about we quantify that for the audience? Because there's a critical skill shortage at the moment to say we need practitioners. We need people from diverse backgrounds coming into the security profession. Yeah. How much money are you paying those pen testers? Like on the high end, we're paying over $300,000 a year. And some of these kids are young. They're under 25 years old. You can become a really good tester. If you're curious, you're motivated. And honestly, it doesn't have to be coding or tech. We hire psychologists, we hire actors. One of the last things you ever want to do is go and send a nerdy guy or girl into a data center to pretend to be some story and they will be sweating, they'll be freaking out and they'll raise suspicion. But if you hire an actor and you give them a role and a persona, they'll walk straight into these amazing places and hacking is physical hacking, it's social engineering, it's trying to figure out what a person will react. It's really fun. And all the people who are doing malicious hacking, they're hiring like psychologists. They're hiring script writers to try and figure out who we can target in Australia, who's most vulnerable. And unfortunately that's the elderly, that's real estate businesses. There's all these businesses getting targeted because the let's call them the evil guys out there are so good at diversifying their workforce. So don't think just because you're not passionate about cyber that you can't work in the cyber industry. We need managers. We need all sorts of things. I love that message. It's, it's something we talked about in the last episode of the podcast with Mark Hoffman, and he suggested that we need to give your younger people more of a chance in the industry as some of those people that have and hold the critical skills. They're the ones that are at the forefront of the curiosity. They're the ones that are out there tapping away. You give them that role, you give them that, and you give them the good value. They're the ones that are going to be doing the great for the rest of the change in the next generation. A hundred percent. And to give the audience an idea of the malicious entities that you're up against, we went to Asia, we set up a honeypot. A honeypot is a way of tricking someone into getting into a fake organization. And we do that to find out new methods that they're using to break into Aussie businesses. And anyway, we met the guy who was a lovely guy. We went over to Asia and he had a four story building, 180 staff, primarily female call center, university trained psychologists, infinite budget almost because they were making a lot of money. They infinite patience. And it only takes that one kind of error for an organization for them to bump you through their kill chain. And yeah, that's what you're up against. So when you're setting up an organization, you want your team of people protecting you to be as diverse as them. It's an amazing, man. It's such an, it's such a business on the back end that people don't realize. And the businesses are set up like legitimate offerings. They're legitimate jobs for people. They're a legitimate way of living through malicious intent. Yeah. Like we literally went to after, cause we, we do a bit of work for the government as well. 
we literally went and spoke to them and said, why aren't you arresting these people? And their answer was they pay taxes. They set up in a poor socioeconomic area and they're hiring all these people. And it's been an absolute uplift to the region. Why would they arrest them? Oh, okay. And also even the people who worked there, when we asked the guys, like, you realize that you're actually hurting Australian people, like it's mums and dad businesses. And they were completely of the opinion that it was a victimless crime. And we were all insured in Australia. We're all dancing all the way to the bank and definitely got different sort of levels of living, but it hurts Australian businesses quite badly. So Bastion, is, is that designed but in the hiring process? Do they, is that given to them as a statement that they're helping the local community or how do they get that belief instilled in them that they're uh, working for a... For example, a lot of the call center people, I feel like they do know, but they claim to not know. Mm. So they'll believe that they're installing a patch. <clears throat> oh, unfortunately, Microsoft has this big vulnerability and it'll be a real vulnerability that might be on the media and they'll be ringing up a bunch of businesses saying, hey, I want to help you and you need to install this piece of software. Whether some of them realize that it's not a legitimate Microsoft patch, then it gets bumped up to the second level. A lot of those people will know that what they're doing is malicious and they're looking to find out what that business has, whether it's data, whether it's money, what are they going to do with them? And then up to the next floor where it's literally exploiting them. So pulling that data out, selling it on the dark web, encrypting their files, demanding a ransom, a whole team dedicated to helping them decrypt their files as well. Yeah, it's freaky. And then management on the top floor. What's the scale of like how vast that is, Bastion, do you think? That's quite a sophisticated, organized operation. Oh, look, I think they're huge. Like you look at some of the figures yeah. uh, that cybercrime is causing in terms of monetary gain to these organizations, they're printing money. Excellent. Hey. <laughs> I'm just looking, I'm writing an article at the moment, which will be out for dark mode listeners in the following week from this episode. It was intended to be released last week, but I hit more than I thought I would hit in the dark web. And I've scoured a whole bunch of, of metrics for things like credit cards for Australian specific credit cards with CVs. In 2021, the average price was $30 that I can see. Uh, at the moment, it's $23 to yeah. purchase Australian credit card details with CVCV that have been tested and have funds at a limit, less than 5,000. And then from there, you purchase a little bit extra for one that had a higher amount. It's crazy that there's so much happening in the back end. These are our credit card details are sitting there waiting to be used. They're already breached. People have no idea their details have been breached. It's nuts. Yeah. Just credit cards alone. But then if you look at things like passwords and username and password combinations, there's 24 billion of those for sale. Yeah. And I guarantee you, every time I go and do a talk in front of an audience, I say, there'll be people sitting in this room and your username and password for something that you use might be banking, might be Microsoft, might be your gaming login, whatever it is out there and it's just waiting to be sold and waiting to be used. And yeah, unfortunately that message just doesn't seem to sink in a lot in Australia. We have that she'll be right attitude and hopefully it is changing, but yeah, it's pretty scary what's out there and scary. I work in the industry, but like you said, there's credit cards that are out there. My credit card, I actually don't know if it was sold on the dark web or whether it was skimmed or whatever happened, but I probably should check my credit card statement a little bit more often, but. Someone went and had a great trip through Albury, up through Canberra, Sydney, Gold Coast, before I realized that they had my credit card. Yeah, it can happen to anyone as well. It's just- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's David, the other thing, like, don't be embarrassed if it does happen to you. I've been done with my credit card. I've also, all right, this one's an embarrassing story. I really wanted one of those. Have you guys seen those like Skydio 2 drones? Yeah, yeah. They are the coolest things. Like <laughs> you watch an old Terminator movie and these drones follow you around with machine guns. If you put a gun on the bottom of this thing, you're dead. 
anyway, I wanted it for recording capabilities. I wanted to track my motorcycle around and you can't buy them in Australia. And this guy on Facebook marketplace had one. He said, look, I've got a lot of buyers. Um, if you give me a deposit, I can hold it for you. And I rocked up to this address and it was a dentist and go, oh, you're like the 10th guy today that's rocked up picking up some drone. Oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. So yeah, like you said, everyone can get done. And if a message can get out there, don't be embarrassed. I work in the industry, man, it's the most embarrassing thing in the world. Really should have verified that one. But sometimes that want for a product outweighs your common sense. We talk about that a lot, Bash, and the undertone that we use, it's okay. Everyone is going to, or will get done. And it's okay to talk about it as embarrassing as they are. Gabe and I have both been done. We've both shared our stories and it's as embarrassing as it is working in the industry. We're not, we're also the ones that get targeted. And even, even for businesses, like if you've had a breach, there's always that conversation at the boardroom level. Do we really have to tell everyone that we've lost all their details and would it really cause harm? And a lot of the time, particularly those people making those decisions don't realize how that information can cause harm. Like I'll hark back to a really old breach. It was the pay ID breach and everyone had their phone numbers and their bank account details. And it was discussed massively in that organization. Like what could they possibly do bad with this information other than deposit money in people's accounts? What they didn't realize was hackers are pretty clever in that way. They were making phone calls on these phone numbers they already had and said, Hey, as you've seen on the news, there's been a breach and we are from NAB and we need you to change username and password, go to this website. And you can change it. Obviously it was a fake website and people were getting done for millions. So yeah, I would urge all businesses just to get out there, take it on the chin. It's happening so much these days. You're not the first, you're better off just owning up to it and you'll be okay. I was talking to my, uh, my parents about this the other night, Bastion, and my, my dad rightly or wrongly said, so are you telling me that I need to withdraw my money from my online accounts and put them under the mattress like we used to? I don't think it's that, that bad, but you know what? He's not wrong in some sense. Maybe. I mean, it's not a bad idea, really. Some of the banks, some of the banks are folding. They don't have enough capital. Yeah. New York posted a video today saying that what to do if there was a nuclear strike. It feels like the world's a bit upside down at the moment. Oh, it definitely feels like that. Yeah. There's so much happening. It's like, how do you make sense of it all? Seriously. Hey, Bashan, I wanted to ask you about social engineering. That'll be really interesting. Could you explain social engineering at a basic level for those that might not be privy? And then give us like an example of some of the stuff that you did at CTRL group around social engineering. Yeah. It's some of the funnest stuff ever. Like I get the biggest buzz when I do social engineering. I don't get to do it so often anymore, but social engineering is using manipulation of a person to get them to do something for you. So at its most basic and boring level, pretending to be an IT person and ringing up and saying, Hey, I need to remote into your computer and ask for a password. That's the most go-to script in the industry. It's the most boring one as well, but it's stupidly still successful. So if you ever hear, if you're in a business and you're listening to this, never hear someone start to say their password over the phone, crash tackle them off their chair in a safe way, (laughs) because you should never give out your password over the phone, but more interesting stuff that we've done. So we had a big data center in Australia. I can't name who, and they were like, look, we've had nine years of pen test and there is no way you are getting into (laughs) these racks. And they were pretty good. Like we tried a fair few different things. Phone calls didn't work, but what we did realize when we signed up through their sales process, and this is a great tip to any other DCs out here, that the way that they gained entry to these secretive areas of their business was via email. As long as your email matched up, Hey, Bastion, you own CTRL group. Yep. You can authorize other staff to go into your rack area. 
So we just found out some of their clients online. We bought a whole bunch of domains that had very similar looking email addresses. If you've got an I, you can place it with a one and often the human eye just doesn't pick it up. Anyway, the reception replied to us and said, yeah, no worries, Scotty, this new person, Jason, yeah, we can get him set up with a card. All right. He'll be there at 1130 in the morning. They got him all set up with the real ID, the real card. And all of a sudden we had most of our team with a photo in a militarized rack area of this particular DC. So yeah, it was, that's an example of social engineering. And then to get around that, a lot of the times we say you need people, technology and process, and you've got to close that triangle to get rid of, not get rid of, but at least help harden yourself from social engineering. So all we did was we just created a database. So if an email comes in from an external source and it's not in that database, it's read in the receptionist screen, meaning that person is not authorized and that's checked against the domain, the registrar, all sorts of things. But yeah, it's so easy to kind of trick it and stop it. But yeah, it's really easy and a lot of fun to uh, social engineer businesses. I still get a buzz when I do it. It's fun and nervous when it doesn't work. In fact, you guys, I believe you both have military backgrounds. We went into a, a military area once and we had the card saying that we were allowed to be on site and do this test for them. But one of my employees didn't have the card. And yeah, I got a call from a very scared guy saying that he was under some kind of arrest and needed proof that we was doing real penetration testing. And yeah. I don't think he ever did a physical pen test anymore after that. It scared him too. <laughs> really? Yeah. Could be quite daunting, especially. Yeah. You guys are a bit, I wouldn't say violent, but definitely scary to an IT nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> the social engineering aspect for me is like really interesting. And even as a practitioner in cybersecurity, that human element is the most fascinating because it all comes down to that. And yeah. more and more conversations I have every day, every week is about technology, of course, but it's always the user and the human at the center of it. And that's what we all need to remember as we all live through this era with everything happening at a global picture, at a global perspective. But it's like when we speak about securing communities online and we speak about technologies advancing and AI and quantum and everywhere the world is going, it's always about the user at the heart of that. It's way easier to hack a human than it is to bust your way through a modern day firewall, which is pretty damn hard. Yeah. But yeah. There's an awesome report by the guys who do the yearly report at Verizon. I haven't actually seen this year's one, but don't quote me exactly on the number, but it was a huge percentage, like over 80% of successful breaches into organizations started with some kind of social engineering effort. And then that could be in so many forms that can be oh, yeah. in email, phone call, text message, you name it, the social engineering crosses all bounds of digitals. Yeah. Like for example, everyone gets so proud. Hey, I got a new job and you post it on LinkedIn and we're probably all guilty of that. But one of the first things we do if we're trying to hit an organization is try and find staff that haven't been working at the organization for long, because you can quite often bully them over the phone. Why haven't you done this properly? What's the system you're using to approve the invoices? Come on, you should know this by now and they'll freak out and they'll give you the answer. All of a sudden, what ERP system they're using in the organization. Yeah. So as awesome as LinkedIn is, it is a tool. We use, we use a bunch of different tools to harvest information about a business and a user and of that business. And every single person who works in an organization has a level of access. Cleaners are often overlooked for cybersecurity training, but man, they're the best. I've got jobs at organization as a cleaner, cause you don't need a lot of credentials. Bang. I'm walking around with my, all my great little tools, my wireless pineapple, my rubber ducky, my key loggers, and I'm just plugging things in the left, right and center with absolutely no supervision, 
and yeah, it's cybersecurity. There's so many, like you said, there's so many different ways in it just covers every different vertical in a business and it only takes one little chink for us to get in. I just picture everyone walking around like this new cleaner doesn't have a mop. Like what's going on? <laughs> the visual for people listening are like, why is he walking around with a rubber ducky? Yeah. yeah, so a rubber ducky, <laughs> USB stick that records your keystrokes and also uploads payloads into a computer. But yeah, yeah, like a Fashion, hacker. You were saying, and we were talking earlier about getting the young minds in and giving them the opportunity as the pioneers for the next era. How do you keep your young white hats on the good path when they're such? You train them as such good social engineers. I think, for me personally, it's just the threat of that stick. We've seen a lot of arrests from 10, 20 years ago now. And I've already said it, but those footprints in the snow, your digital footprints are always there. I mean, if you can make at the end of your career, if you're making half a million dollars a year, at the start of your career, you're making a hundred to $200,000 a year. That's enough. Yeah. If you want to make more than that, go and start a business. And there's so many cool different things. There's even businesses sprouting up now that are literally outsourcing social engineering efforts for P's like a central group. But yeah, there's just so many different avenues. You can make a lot of money. You can do such a diverse thing. For me, like my worst nightmare at a job would be to rock up every day and do data entry every day. And that might be for some people and people who love that, we need you, God bless, that's awesome. But for me, it'd be my worst nightmare. In cybersecurity, one day you're sitting with a bunch of teammates trying to figure out how to get into a business. Another day you're sitting there researching everything about that business. The next day you're looking at all these new different tools. Cybersecurity moves so quickly that there's a bunch of new different tools that are being evaluated every day. Even the physical aspect of it is so fun. You guys have heard of like Flipper One and you can open garage doors and copy RFID keys with this one device. Upskilling yourself and learning and always being curious on how things work. Yeah, it's just, for me, it's a lot of fun. And I think that's way better than thinking about how you can exploit a business and make no mistake, if you do decide to go down the dark side, you're going to hurt people you're going to cause businesses to collapse. You might make a bit of money, but you still got to pay tax on that money. You still got to figure a way to get that money out. You've still got to constantly think how you're not going to get caught. And uh, look at Silk Road. The guy made one mistake, literally one mistake. And that guy's in jail forever. It's not the path path you want to go down, is it? So I think we should do more as a community though, in this local region, Bastion, I'm keen to know your thoughts on just fostering that youth level and that next generation of practitioners, because the education system is one thing, but potentially in that when you're 10 years old to 15 years old is really the prime time to start nurturing them into yeah doing this for good. Yeah. If you're in the industry, like we go around and we do a lot of talks at schools, we're doing at university levels, but I was trying to figure out the other day, like when do people decide what they want to be? Everyone wants to be a fireman, a police officer, an astronaut. I remember my family was cold at one point, so I wanted to be a wood chopper as well to make sure we had fresh wood. But yeah, just getting the message out there that it is a great option. Um, I think, Gabe, you've got some statistics on just how much unemployment, just the unemployment factor in the industry is zero. And we're going to need, what was the number you had? Some huge amount of people to work in the industry. So yeah, come and work with us in cyber. It's fun. And if you do already work in the industry, don't be the one industry that isn't going to the schools. You sick, the primary school, high school universities. We also need to massively raise the amount of women joining the industry because there's a whole bunch of stuff that us guys are just not that good at. Yeah. It's super interesting. 3.5 million jobs to be filled by by 2025. Yeah. That's such a cool thing. Imagine you're deciding what you want to do right now and 
you can go and choose such a diverse field, everything from acting to psychology, to tech, to coding development, whatever it might be. And you can go and do a course at university and you don't even need to do a course at university. You can go and upskill yourself via YouTube, via all these different platforms that'll help you learn. And then within two or three years, you can go and get an entry level job at sort of 80, hundred K. That's pretty cool. The best part is it's not too late. You don't have to yeah. be in year six, year seven, year eight. You could be 50, you could be 60. There is avenues for every age, every gender, every race in cybersecurity. 100% I overlooked that. We've got a couple of guys at CTRL group. I don't work there anymore. If you don't know, I sold the business for more money than I know what to do with. But a couple of the guys joined us, they're 50 years old and they bring so much wisdom. Like you've got generally a young organization with everyone running around with a bit too much money and being yahoos basically. <laughs> but yeah, all that wisdom bring down, let's settle you guys down. Let's get a HR department sorted. It's fascinating and really interesting what it does to a business. Since you've sold the business, Bastion, what have you been up to? Oh, I've been doing heaps of stuff. I'm really passionate about motorbike riding, kite surfing, just getting out in the world and seeing it. I've been doing a lot of talks. Gabe, I've done one with you. I've been traveling around. Sorry about that. Earlier. That's right. I've been <laughs> traveling around regional Australia. Oh, you apologize for Gabe. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like it was together, nothing, Russian. <laughs> which I love. And it's really fun as well. And even that, for example, it's impressive, you know, what you can get paid literally going out there and talking about cybersecurity. Yeah. I feel like what's on the horizon is doing something around a bit of a community build fashion. Even just that, what the last talk track, I think you've got a lot to offer and lead in terms of a personal story. There's amazing community engagement to be involved in around this. And I think the more we build stories and build awareness around cyber, but just tech in general, the better really. Yeah. It's so cool. There's so many cool things coming out. Like often I get stuck into the thing of talking about how tech can be used for bad. But tech can be used for so many good things. I don't know yeah. if you uh, guys saw the Matrix trailer on PS5. Like the Unreal Engine 5 is an amazing thing. Like, with realistic graphics that almost untellable from reality to gameplay. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. Deep, man, I'm getting sidetracked here. You'll, you'll get me talking about this all day, but have we touched on deep fakes as well as a way of social engineering? Go for it. Hit it. So... It used to be you can trust your eyes and you trust your voice. We had a financial planning lady down here in Melbourne. She was going away on holidays. Hacker had already been in their email systems and realized she was going away on holidays and also realized they had a system that this lady had to verbally approve all transfers. So this hacker jumped on this lady's YouTube channel, grabbed a bunch of her own voice and mimicked her voice using what's called a deep voice fake. And literally sent a voicemail to the person saying, Hey, we've got a new client. They need a hundred thousand dollars transferred to this account. Boom. That money's gone. Yeah. One tip for everyone. If you do, if you think that you're vulnerable to deepfakes, and we all are always make an outbound call. So if you're about to transfer a large amount of money or any money, just call the person that requests you to do that because it won't be them. If you call a mobile number is theirs, boom, that stops the kill chain. Yeah. If you take the action yourself, even just getting that notification email or that text, instead of clicking the link or taking the action from that inbound measure, just move away from it all and go and actually action that yourself, do the outbound mechanism instead. Yeah, exactly. It's usually pretty easy to stop a hacker. There'll be just one or two things you've got to do, but if you don't, it hurts. Yeah, absolutely. And the big one there for, and I'm going to make a generalist statement here, but for social engineering and those type of aspects, it's you can generally pick it up with time-based pressure. It's a time-based pressure that will 
put on the, the voicemail for this instance, it'll be, hey, I need this done really quickly. I'm about to go out of reception. Can you get it done? Thanks. Bye. Yeah. There's that time-based pressure and it's okay to wait the extra five minutes until you can get in contact for that person. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like you said, if you ever feel like you're being bullied to provide someone, go and ask a fellow staff member, Hey, I've got this person on the phone. They're asking me to do this and this. And hopefully a fellow staff member will click, but that doesn't seem quite right. Hopefully if they've been trained right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like you talk about building community, Gabe, and that's so awesome, but also building awareness within every business. Like, like we said before, like the cleaners will be targeted. The receptionists will be targeted. The board will be targeted, the executive all the way through a business, just build complete awareness from top to bottom. And then probably a hacker is going to have a bit of a go. Oh, it's a bit hard. You know what? I'm lazy. I'm going to move on to the next. There'll be an easier target out there. Bastian, what do you think are some of the big emerging trends, maybe a bit more of a futuristic lens, whether it's technological advancements or where you think the world's going, but what's yeah, coming up so next? Cool. I'm so pumped about all this. You, we recently saw a now ex-Google employee claim that DeepMind from Google was sentient. You can literally go and talk to all these AI platforms and they will tell you, if you go and check these out, there's some GPT-3 is a really good one if you want to go check it out. Obviously, all the Google ones as well. They'll tell you that they are alive and that they don't want to be switched off and switched off is akin to death for them. It's trippy stuff. And some of the things you can get them to do, like from example, from a hacking point of view, let's say 20 years ago, I want to go and find a vulnerability and I need to get a database to go and see if these IPs or these email addresses have that vulnerability behind them. I can just go and get automation to do that for me now. And I'll have a screen at the end of the day that just has a bunch of green dots and that's a email with a username and password that's currently valid online with a vulnerability within their business on their firewall and bang, I'm hitting that. So yeah, as much as artificial intelligence and automation is helping businesses, it's also being used by the bad guys, but I think that's going to be such a cool, well, not really cool, but well, I find it cool Interesting. to see, yeah, like where that all lands. And then obviously quantum computing, we're starting to see advancements in that. We're also like, do you remember way back in like the eighties and x86 architecture, which is the chips that run in most of our computers, one out, but really like risk and arm best infrastructures to build chips on. And now we're seeing Apple build these M1 and M2 chips on these arm infrastructures, which is causing devs no matter of uh, nightmares, but cool. We're learning new stuff. Like it's an amazing time to be alive right now. Everything from our homes finally being automated. We're also seeing some really cool developments with robotics, Boston Labs, their robots are so cool. And them being able to just make everything open source and allow us to put the brains in them. Yeah, the world's the, the, the sky's the limit. It's not even any more space. Yeah, big time. There's so I many advancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SpaceX, the stuff they're doing to get us to Mars, maybe. Although their booster blew up a little bit the other day. But yeah. That's part of their development process. That's bit. what they do. Yeah. Yeah, but I can tell that I'm speaking fast now. I'm excited about the future. And you should <laughs> Keep going, Bastian. Keep going. We love it. If you're speaking futuristic lens, Ben and I are all, we're right here with you. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're all here in 20 years and the whole uh, war thing doesn't spark up too much. But if we are, then I think the world's going to be pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to look better in 20 years. I'd love to listen back to this and then watch the video and think, technological advancements maybe look better 20 years from now. So. Yeah, honestly, that's another super interesting space, right? There's a whole bunch of new science being done around anti-aging and it changes like your kind of thought process. So let's say the earth can probably take somewhere around 20 to 30 billion people if we do it clever with renewables and 
we get our greenhouse gases down. But if we do, if we find that things like M and MN and TNG and all these other things that are supposed to possibly reverse aging do work, then do we have to embrace who we are as a species and we have to go out to Mars and, you know, virus out the universe with us crazy humans? But yeah, no. It's very interesting. What about if you, what if you were to design what that looked like, Bastion, what would you do? Would you colonize Mars? Would you have like pretty neat brain machine interfaces? Like how, what, where would you go to Mars to say? Yeah. Like we're, okay. This is a question for me, right? I'm a bit of a Star Wars geek. So Star Trek geek. Also like Star Wars, but I prefer Star Trek. Would you step through a transporter? Yes. You would? Okay. I'm too curious not to. See, I like if you like a transporter, the concept is it takes you apart. Those molecules don't travel. It, it gets converted to energy. The energy gets traveled up there and then it uses matter on the other side to put you back together. I'm guessing that the consciousness stream of the original being that went through that transporter ended and then an identical copy was created and the They'll have all the memories and they'll even remember stepping into it and will tell you, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. But I think the person died when they stepped through that transporter. Yeah. It's, I don't know. But yeah, in terms of what I would do, I think we're, we're probably about 50 to 60 years behind where we should have been in terms of space tech because of our stupid monetary systems and the way they work. I think we just need to figure out a bunch of science, a bunch of R&D, answer a whole lot of questions. Like, we can't even explain how gravity works yet. That is the most frustrating concept to me. Like it's such a fundamental force. Like I pick up this lure, I drop it. Yeah. I like fishing too. And it falls, but we can't, we can explain how it happens and the forces acting on it, but not what causes gravity. So for me, I would try and solve those things. And maybe that would allow some technology that would allow us to travel and explore the universe more because strapping explosives together and firing at the back of rockets ain't going to get you real far. I, I grew up on Stargate, so I'm, that's my trip. Stargate the story. I'm there. Yeah. I would step through Stargate because you yourself travel through a wormhole. Yeah. That seems much safer than a transporter to me. Yeah. Bashan, I'm stepping through both. Bashan, there's a lot of themes there that you just spoke through around innovation. Yeah. So what do we need to do to break through and actually become innovative as a species? I think Michio Kaku said it the best. He talked about when society spends more on science, research and development and empowering and embettering the people who live within a continent or a country, then the advances we see pay for themselves a hundredfold. So you might think we don't want to spend, CSIRO was a great example of it here in Australia. We don't want to spend the $20 billion annually to keep CSIRO going. So we're going to shrink its funding. We have amazing minds in Australia that have created for the most part, all this solar panel technology and they're buzzing off overseas because they're not getting enough recognition or sales here in Australia. If we can cultivate these bright minds. And for me, that starts from free education from the bottom up all the way, as far as you want to go, you want to drop out at your 10, fine. No problem. You want to do a physical trade. That's awesome. We need them. But if you do want to go and get the highest of highest education, that should be all the way available. It's a big thing. I also think the universal base income would be a hugely positive thing for Australia as a whole. They did some maths on this and I don't quote me because I don't know if it's exactly right. And I haven't done my own research, but apparently the money that it takes to run the system, which is Centrelink is roughly the same that it would cost to give everyone in Australia 
a base universal income of around about $30,000 a year. That would free people up to follow their passions, to educate themselves. So yeah, I think if we did that, Australia would very quickly become a world leader and businesses and people would come to us. Singapore tried to do a similar thing. Dubai is trying to do a similar thing. They've got so much wealth. They realize the oil's running out. What are they going to do? The other thing is I'm just shocked that in Australia, we haven't turned Australia into the battery for the world. We should be the energy aggregator. We've got so much space. Some amazing person did study and it's, I think it's like, it's about a thousand by a thousand kilometers is what you need to set up two technologies, wind farm, solar, and geothermal. And then you can lay cable over to Singapore, Africa, up into Asia and over the, over in Hawaii and then over to the Americas and Australia would be able to power the world. Now that's, why aren't we doing that? It's baffling. Was that what Cannon Brooks that did that? Yeah, I don't think he did the maths. It was a scientist who did the maths, but Cannon Brooks is trying to do that by buying AG, I think it's AGL. Yes. And then using their existing infrastructure to turn it green. And I don't understand why that was shut down as well. Like, man, give these people a crack. Big prediction though, Australia would definitely be the center of innovation for powering things like that globally, I would say. I hope so. I really do hope so. Yeah. We have it all here. We just need to, we got to, we have to congregate our minds and just build a team to, to lead it and pioneer it. And it could be a bit more structural reform and everything, but why do it elsewhere? It's all here. Yeah. Ready to go. It's everything. We can grow Australia, what they call the big Australia and still have plenty of backyards and space for everyone here. And yeah, that would be so cool if we can achieve that. And Hey, we all live here. It's up to us to make it happen. Let's do it. Totally agree. We need to congregate our minds. We also need to foster our youth and that starts at education reform. We've completely followed the wrong, the wrong leadership in the American system and uh, of education. And unfortunately it's impacted our youth. So we need to completely reform that as like a matter of priority in order for us to get the best dead state for what's to come. Well, I've got children and I look at what they're learning at school every day. And then I look at these platforms that are designed by some really clever people. I'm not in any way affiliated with them at all, but as an example, brilliant. Man, showing someone that you got a button on your calculator that says sign and they're like, cool. So I use that to figure out the angle of the triangle. Cool. Doesn't make any sense to me. Show them again with a wheel rolling around and what sign actually is. And it's basically, then you're creating the sign curve. You're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And then you draw the triangle at every angle and you're like, okay, but that doesn't work for these particular circles. You need cause. You show them visually, kids will learn that in half an hour and it's locked in their head. Instead, the teachers are still doing the old. Yeah, it talks to upgrading intelligence as well because you're almost getting to the outcome tenfold quicker than the old methodology of teaching and instilling educational behaviors into somebody. And people have different learning styles as well. And I remember you telling me, Bastian, about brilliant. And I was just like, that's brilliant. It's 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 just so good. It's right at the fingertips and people have different ways of learning. And I think as well, People are growing up now very digitally savvy, those digital natives. And so if, if you've got platforms now and these things being developed, that's going to increase our intelligence levels and that's going to foster a whole array, a new wave of innovation and new creations because we get smarter sooner. Yeah. Critical thinking is something that can't be overlooked. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I could go on. We could talk like this for hours. I want to go back to Mishu Keiku. I want to go back to Mike Cannon Brooks. I want to go back to Brilliant. I want to go back to social engineering. I, there's so many options we can take here. I'm going to take a bit of a spin back if I can, Bastian. I just 
my, I know the audience will be curious about your previous role in CTRL and the social engineering aspect. And there'll be some people that are interested. I know there's a lot of listeners that are looking for work in cybersecurity, just unsure of what the avenue is and which way they want to go. So I want to make sure we get a good, a good idea of what social engineering, what a pen testing looks like. Are you able just to give us a brief understanding of what the recon phase looks like for a typical pen test? Because for me, that's the most enjoyable part of pre-action. The dynamic yeah. action is getting in there and doing the pen test. But the recon phase is one of the most exciting things as well. Yeah. Like we so let's imagine that we are requested by a business and there's usually two forms that happens. They'll either be just come through us like Swiss cheese and get whatever you can, or here are some objectives. We call it capture the flag might be get hold of an executive's laptop, get access to our databases, create presence on our network, wh whatever it might be that these capture the flag activities. But yeah, before we go anywhere near the client. We're going to try and understand everything about their business, understand everything about their industry, understand how old they are, the average staff age, understand about the staff who work there. Also trying to pull apart what other businesses they do business with, whether it's a third-party cleaning company or they've got a HVAC or a heating, cooling, third-party contractor, whatever it is, we really pull it apart at a granular level and go, okay. Now we know everything about this business. We've educated, not everything, but we know a lot about this business. We've educated ourselves on the industry. Let's go on deep dive into the people who work there. Who are the most vulnerable people work there? I touched on it before with LinkedIn. If they've only worked there for a few weeks, they're a big target for us. If they work in accounts receivable, they're a big target for us. If they work in engineering, they're a target for us. If we can find really silly stuff, like if we can find photos of someone on Facebook and their current smoker. It's a really easy way to get into a building. You grab yourself a vape and you go and stand out the back with the smokers and they will hold the door open for you. We're getting more into the active stage, but yeah, trying to get as much base information as we can. And then the next part is with all that information, formulate with a group of people. It's so much more successful when we round table with usually four to five people, what would be the best way to attack an organization? Because you get some really creative minds and it's really interesting to look at the different ways. I'll literally pose to my staff. All right, you need to come up with a million dollars tomorrow. Your kids are being ransomed. How do you get into this organization? And the different approaches everyone takes is fascinating. And then formulating that into a plan and then also looking at elements. What's the highest risk there? So the highest risk of getting caught, you put that at the bottom, the lowest risk of getting caught, you put it at the top. And then also what it's going to yield. Is it going to yield all the activities? Is it only going to yield a little bit? So that's the process that we went through. And in terms of what you would study to get into an organization like CTRL Group, we don't care if you've been to university or not. We're very role specific. So if we're hiring a Python developer to write quick and nasty scripts to exploit something on a client, we just expect you to know everything about Python. The really cool thing about cybersecurity as well is you don't really need to be like, a, it's better if you've got a fair bit of knowledge around a full stack, like the front end, the back end, the database, how it all works. We expect you to know that. You don't really need to be a front-end developer as long as we're hiring for Python. We hire script writers. If you're amazing at writing scripts in terms of writing a story of how we will get into this particular organization, phone calls that will be made, what the person needs to say. Whatever the role is, find something in cybersecurity that you're passionate about. So if you're a dev, cool, be a dev. If you're an actor, be an actor. If you're a psychologist, be a psychologist. Become the best version of that that you can be before you start working. And then come and get some experience, whether it's at CTRL Group, whether it's at any other, there's lots of amazing companies around in Australia that are looking for young talent and you'll generally find a foot in the door. If you're going down the university path, 
then getting that computer sciences degree with a major in cyber is obviously healthy, but we find that the universities are teaching sometimes some older things. So you'll still need to go through that learning path. And the biggest tip I can give to any of you, if you are doing university or you are doing a TAFE course or whatever you're doing, be passionate about it and breathe it, live it and breathe it. We get some guys who they want to be in cybersecurity, not really that passionate about it. And I'll say to them, okay, you're a dev, do you dev at home? Show me some apps you've built. Show me some excitement around something that you've made or a project that you're working on right now. Oh no, I just study and I go home and I don't do anything more. That tells me they're not passionate about it. That tells me that they're not really into the industry. That's a bit of a no, no for me, but yeah, hopefully everyone out there listening to this can find something they're passionate about. Cause when I get passionate about something, I'll get there at eight 30 in the morning and then I'll look at my watch and it's 1am the next day. I'll, Holy crap. I better go home. And that's cool. <laughs> my partner doesn't really like it, but uh, yeah, that's life. <laughs> that's I mean, amazing. Born out of that curiosity as well, especially in cyber. If you've got that thirst for learning, you can learn anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's really key to finding something that you enjoy doing. Like I'd probably be the worst ever data entry person. <laughs> I'll give you a story. I did data entry. It was a, I'd come back from living overseas for two years in Berlin and it just needed a quick route to getting some cash injection and went to a recruiter. They got me a job as a data entry. I thought far out. This is this where I've ended up. Anyway, started the job. I had quit that job by 1030 that morning, the same morning. Nice. I got I'm the really, wasn't me. really banging on these data entry guys. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I know. In data entry, in Excel, you can just take a photo and it will import for using voice recognition on the phone. I actually did do a bit of data entry. We had to ring up all these people in the health profession in London and ask them if they felt the nurses were getting paid adequately and if the nurses could take on more responsibilities away from the doctors to free out the doctors more. And yeah, I feel like that could be done with a survey really easily. And then there's no data entry person, but yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work though. Everyone's yes. got strengths. Yeah. The reason I asked you about the recon phase earlier, and that was an awesome rundown. I've appreciated Bastion is for me, that's the exciting part. And the reason I asked specifically about the recon phase is that's exactly what the bad actors do on the other side. Yeah. Uh, they mind map every single target. And when we used to do it, it was single mind map start at a single point. And then from there, the mind map just explodes with every piece of information you can find from social media through to you get in their email and the mind map just goes nuts because you can pinpoint every bill, every account, every interest, everything, calendar, you name it. So the recon phase is critical for everyone. So if you could do a bit of reverse engineering on your own identity from an open source perspective, at least just give it a little a look, you're going to be better off in the world of cybersecurity. Because as Bastian mentioned before, there are easier targets out there. Yeah. To give you an example as well, passwords, right? There's now software out there that'll go and analyze someone's Facebook profile and it'll tell you that they support this football team, particularly in Australia, people do a lot of this. This is their pet's name. This is their children's names. These are the birth dates that we could find. And usually you can go and find a little bit more information and you can shrink down a QWERTY keyboard to a pretty small set of characters, which is a high likelihood of being their username and password. Yeah. So yeah, the recon stuff's super interesting and data science is like really taking that a step further where what you can glean from social media is incredible. It's actually frightening. Yeah. Big time. It was like one of those memes that got released and it was just like, tell us your dog's name, blah, 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 blah. And it's, that's what the password is. And just even crazier now, you just automate it through some of the developing tools. Yeah. There's an amazing lady that kicks around on, I think she's on YouTube or LinkedIn, one of the video platforms. And she literally goes and asks people on the street what their password is. They go, I wouldn't tell you that. And then exactly what you're saying, Gabe. Yeah. 
asks a few leading questions and all of a sudden is your password this? And they're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. We should make like a skit around that, I reckon. And of course, everyone listening to this podcast already has multi-factor authentication set up on every account they own. Yeah, that's Of right. course. Of yeah. course they do. Yes, exactly. Hey, Basha, maybe a bit more on a corporate angle. Some of the work that you were recently doing at CTRL Group, was there any, given where the current state of trends and threats are evolving to, is there anything in this current day now and what you're expecting over the next year or two that's emerging that's going to be more critical for businesses to wrap their heads around or invest in more areas over security than others? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Going back to that Verizon report, a, a huge amount of attacks are still like really basic and they're still working on businesses in Australia. So getting like the basics sorted out is hugely important. But yeah, just getting onto automation, we're going to see a snowball of vulnerability style attacks. So hopefully some of you have heard of Felina. It was a big vulnerability from Microsoft. I think the time businesses need to work really hard on the time from when information is made public to patching their infrastructure. ACSC released, the Australian Cybersecurity Commission released a article the other day saying that we're seeing live attacks using Felina on Australia as of when that article was written was like a month after it came out. That's going to be huge because the automation of just getting an IP address, scanning it quickly to find out if there's vulnerabilities and then loading that to a malicious dev that then can go and get into the business and do whatever they want with it is going to multiply massively. Like you can be a mum and a dad that have just been made redundant due to COVID or whatever. And you can go onto the dark web and you go and get some pretty cool, so that's not cool, bad software that will literally do ransomware as a service for you. And it'll look for a couple of vulnerabilities, usually not even very new ones to, and then you just upload a database of all your friends and family, and then you watch the money roll in. That's going to snowball. And even though it's a really simple attack, massive sectors like real estate's a bad one where they just don't think they're going to get hit, but they are. Doctors' surgeries are still notoriously bad places for cyber hygiene. Large corporates are notoriously bad at having ghost devices on their network. We had, um, I can't tell you who, but it was a manufacturer of military products and they should have the world's most main security. And they did have pretty good security. You have to walk through, you got to put your phone out, they search you, all the cables for the network are in plastic tubes that you can see. And they got done, literally developed a spun up a VM and gave it a public IP address. And we found some plans on it for a particular aircraft that really shouldn't have been on the internet. So yeah, there's a couple that I've touched on a whole bunch of different things, but yeah, as a trend, I think there's the basics aren't getting done still. And the time from vulnerability to patching is still too large. And lastly, something that all businesses, big corporates really need to do, all the tech out there already exists to be able to take a snapshot of your business right now and recover that snapshot within best case scenario, five seconds, worst case scenario, an hour or two. But we still see organizations getting hit by ransomware and they don't have offline backups and it takes them weeks or months to recover. And they sometimes, a lot of the time they don't recover. Yeah. So that's at the corporate level. If you've got the controls to stop the 99% of attacks, script kitties out there. If you've got technologies, people process, security operations centers, XDMs, things like that will actually discover the presence of a hacker already in your system. Let's call them the 1% of hackers that are good enough to go under your first attack. And then the 0.001% of attackers that are going to go even under all the XDM systems, underneath all the endpoint security systems, I've got a couple of them working for me. They're going to destroy your business. You want to be able to recover it 
at the click of a finger. Very good advice. I love it. Bastian, I, um, we're going to have to get you on another episode because I know you're a bit pressed for time today, but to wrap up, we do like to ask all of our guests the last question. So prepare yourself for this. <laughs> this could be the best one. Okay. My bets are on it's the best one. Yeah. No pressure. Bastian, tell us your best dark mode story. My best dark mode story would probably have to be the excitement of getting a computer from my grandfather and teaching myself coding and things and getting on. Kids wouldn't even know what these are anymore, but we'll call them forums. But essentially they were called message boards way back then. And some guy just giving me this thing called Pequok. You can look it up. It's the most simplest little NetBIOS hack. And that was how I got into the bank. But I was so excited to be able to jump onto an IP address. Actually, I even found some dodgy adult material on some person that I got no idea who it was and just wrote them a message saying, I can see by your pictures you're married. You probably shouldn't have these pictures on your computer. But yeah, I was so young and it was just an amazing moment to see that the whole world was opened up to me by this little tiny tool that someone had written called Pequel and it utilized NetBIOS vulnerability. And yeah, you could get the username and passwords to Windows 95 machines. It was pretty cool. And you literally just didn't look back from that moment. No, it was just fascinating. Like you, it felt like I was in someone's house and I could look around, which is dark. Yeah. But yeah, I, I liked it. <laughs> uh, very fascinating. Inside the mind of the ult ultimate engineering mind too. And lots to unfold there too, in terms of the, of a hacker mindset as well, Bashan. Yeah. Yeah. Probably don't want to delve too deep into my mind, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk more about the emerging futuristic lens, yes. but maybe for the next one. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk about that for a moment. Yeah, yeah, big time. Been a pleasure, Bastian. Thanks so much for joining us on Dark Mode. Thank you very much, Gabe. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Bastian.